You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Pray, come Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden the wind just started to ruffle. That works. Um, I uh, don't despise the, the day of small beginnings. This is actually pretty ample for a, a first retreat. Last weekend was Church of the Ascension, where I've been serving for 22 years. Uh, our retreat, 350 people went up the mountain, um, and it was it was really sweet. Actually, uh, Foley Beach was the speaker, but that retreat started 35 years ago and has gone on, and it's become the hub. It's, it's the time when serious bonding, learning new music, and incorporating families and everything. So retreats are really, really excellent times. Um, and I, I hope this really is a retreat for you. Um, retreats are about hearing from God. Um, and I'm, I do enough conferences that I'm, I'm very aware I do enough conferences, both attending conferences, but also speaking at, that I'm aware that speakers aren't the thing. Um, it's, it's what the Spirit does. Sometimes you'll hear something interesting, and God will keep shaking on you for that. Uh, but it's a retreat. So um, I, I, I pray that that's the case. Uh, one of the big things, or a couple of things, that I see for retreats um, are prayer and rest. And we're going to be talking about prayer, and I'm going to leave the rest up to you. <laughs> that was a pun. Um, um, but uh, we're going to be talking about prayer, and in particular, we're calling this um, you know, growing deeper, reaching further, because there's a lot of talk about mission, about reaching out. But i got to tell you, if, if you're not grounded deeply in what the Holy Spirit is doing, you're shooting blanks. You're, you're, you're doing marketing, which it doesn't change the world. And so what I'm hoping is we'll explore a little bit about prayer, but not just talk about prayer. Each of the sessions will have time where we actually will pray because um, I, I don't want to just talk about God. I want to talk with him. Um, you may not learn anything new, and that's perfectly fine um, because new every morning, yet it's always the same. Welcome to the universe with God. Um, I, I hope what happens is I end up fading out and God gets really big, like, like you really have an encounter with God in this time, whether it's a hike or a walk. Maybe, maybe it's something I say. Maybe it's just a conversation around the campfire. Um, so um, that's, that's my attitude. You know, it's, it's about... Can you hear me? Okay. Um, it's, it's really about connecting with God, and uh, the, the, the teacher is the Holy Spirit who reminds us of everything Jesus has taught, who carries us into the bosom of the Father. So, um, As um, Anglican Christians, two of the most potent things that I think we have for forming lives are hymns and collects. Hymns, I, I'm not against, you know, choruses and things like that. They're great, but hymns have this rich theology and imagery that they kind of pull us into. Um, and there's a long history in, in, uh, of, of English spirituality very much tied to hymns. So everything I do, I always like to, have, to pick hymns and collects that match that because they're both so rich and they both grab us in places that just intellect doesn't. So um, I always think that in the early church, um, 
all instruction was done in the context of worship. So I'd like to invite you to stand with me. Let's sing a hymn and uh, begin with prayer. This one, how many of you know this? Love divine, all loves excelling. Does anybody know this? I'm going to sing a little bit of it, <clears throat> and it's really great, and hopefully you'll catch on. It goes like this. I'll, I'll sing the first two lines, and then we'll come back in. Love divine, all loves excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. And then it kind of repeats. I, I, I have a rule of life that is uh, obey the scriptures, pray the prayer book, and sing Wesley every day, and you're probably going to be okay. It's a great Wesley hymn. So if you know it, would you sing loud? And, and there are four verses. By the end, you'll all be in there, hopefully. <clears throat> love divine, all loves excelling, joy of ham to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwell, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation, enter every trembling heart. Breathe, O oh, breathe, thy loving spirit into every troubled breast. Let us all in thee inherit. Let us find the purposed rest. Take away our love of sinning. Alpha and Omega be. End of faith as it's beginning. Set our hearts at liberty. Come, Almighty, to deliver. Let us all thy life receive. Suddenly return and never, never more thy temples leave. Thee we would be always blessing, serve thee as thy hosts above. Pray and praise thee without ceasing. Glory in thy perfect love. Finish then thy new creation. Pure and spotless, let us see. Let us see thy great salvation. Perfectly restored in thee, change from glory into glory, till in ham 
God who wonderfully created and yet more wonderfully restored the dignity of human nature. Grant that we may share the divine life of him who humbled himself to share our humanity, even your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. So as, this, I, have seen, as I suggest, um, it's growing deeper, reaching further. <clears throat> Here, um, uh, one of the things that I'm doing in terms of ascetical theology, ascetical theology is, is the seminary terminology for spirit, Christian spirituality. It's not my discipline. I've, I love to pray, and I've read a lot of books on it, but it's not, it's not what I did my doctorate in. Um, but in ascetical theology, there's a framework for prayer that goes from lexio to oratio to contemplatio. Uh, a lot of the, the, in the West, a lot of the books were written in Latin. Lexio is reading. You read the scripture, and it grabs your heart, which leads you to oratio, which is prayer, which leads you to, to contemplatio, to contemplation, to sit in the presence of God and love up on him. That's, that's a normal framework. I've taken the reverse. I'm going the opposite direction on, in this time. Um, and very intentionally, um, but I, I want to start in going the different direction. Um, the four sessions are this. Session one, prayer as being, wasting time with one you love. Because so often we think of prayer as an activity, and I want to talk about prayer as just relationship, face-to-face. Because eternity is a long time, and we got to get used to it now, right? So being... Uh, wasting time with one you love. The second one tomorrow morning will be prayer as reflection. Once we've gotten comfortable just being in the presence of God, just being there and loving him and hanging out with him, um, how do we stay there in an age of distraction? And reflection is the way, is what I'm proposing. How do we keep in the zone? Uh, because what we do in, in uh, wasting time with God is we train our hearts to want what he wants for us because whatever he wants is really good. So reflection is attentiveness in an age uh, of distraction. And we'll look at that tomorrow. Tomorrow evening is prayer as intercession, tarrying with Christ. Once we've gotten comfortable being in the presence of God, craving God's presence, craving God's will to come on earth as it is in heaven, and we've trained ourselves to stay in the zone, when we start to pray like that, when we start to to get God's heart for us and God's will, um, what happens is it shakes neighborhoods. It's prayer that's not like, to whom it may concern, if you're listening and if you can do anything, that sure would be great for the sake of whatever. I call that the collect for whatever. Um, it's, it's, hey, you, we know you, I want what you want, and we pray it, and we literally pull it into being. That kind of prayer is what I want to talk about, intercession tomorrow. And then uh, Sunday morning, in the context of the Eucharist, we're going to talk about um, the Eucharistic prayer as pattern for living in Christ, for life in Christ, which is taken, blessed, broken, given, which is what we do in the Eucharist. So that's where we're headed. I've reversed the order of what, we, what, what most people who study Christian spirituality uh, go. A lot of times I think we start with mission and then we go, ooh, I better pray about it. And then we go, ooh, um, what does all that mean? And then we go, uh, maybe I could slow down and just get comfortable with God. I want to reverse the order. So, so um, session one, wasting time with one you love. I have a really busy life. I travel about 100,000 miles a year doing stuff and have a lot of students, etc. and I'm sure it's the same for all of us. Um, 
and I don't squander time lightly. In fact, time is the biggest rich, uh, is the biggest wealth to me. It's what I value more than anything. So I don't waste time very easily. And in fact, I would bet the same is true for you. Um, can you think of five people in your life that you're willing to waste time with? Five people that you're not, not trying to get anything out of. You could sit there in silence. You could sit there and talk. You could play, or you could do nothing. Can you think of five people? Anybody? Anybody not able to think of five people? That's, that's rich, to have five people that you can do that with. Those are five people you love. Five people you're not trying to get something out of. Um, and um, it's not someone you want something from, not someone you have to work with, not just someone we hang out with because we're needy, lonely, desperate. Just someone we love. Spouses are often like that. Not for everybody, but very often spouses are like that. Uh, for me, prayer has become wasting time with someone I love. One of, one of the biggest things for me these days, I mean, God knows, knows the intents of our heart, right? Making faces has become a huge part of my prayer life. I just go, that was a couple paragraphs. I didn't have to describe, like, God gets it. And if we take an attitude that prayer is really wasting time with God, just to get into a zone to go, it's okay to be me because you've made it okay for me to be me. You made me and you've redeemed me. Um, and of course, as I say, if you're willing to waste time with somebody, that's someone you love. And we only love because he first loved us. So God's the primary mover. We're just responding, right? So I want to stop for a moment and think with you about, um, about um, the sense of wasting time with someone you love. Here's, here's where I'm headed. Oh, come on. I went the wrong direction. Oh, it's upside down. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, what I want to talk about is a little bit about wasting time the meaning of the incarnation, which God has broken in on us. God's broken in on time. Um, I, want to, I want us to do a meditation that I call that hour with Jesus that I find really funny and really calls me short. So I, I, I want us to walk through in a quiet space and listen to this uh, in a prayerful mode. I'm going to leave us in a little bit of silence. Then I want to talk about personality and spirituality because God's wired us all different. And the way I waste time with God is probably not the way you would do it. So it's really helpful to think about how God has created you, how he's created me. So it's not a one-size-fits-all, right? And then the last is uh, I'm going to end with another um, exercise where we'll just kind of spend some time wasting a little time with God. So, okay, wasting time. Um, I've started mentioning, and what I said is that we only waste time with someone we really love, and that we only love because God first loved us. So let's stop for a moment and think about the love of God for just a couple minutes. If you at any point want to stop me, feel free, because I'll just keep going. Um, you want to ask a question or insert something that, that you're thinking, I, I don't mind that at all. 
Um, as Christians, we hear a lot about the love of God. You know, people talk about the love of God a lot. And every religious tradition um, has some element, some characteristic of God that's highlighted, um, whether it's uh, God's wisdom, God's judgment, God's power, his omnipresence. Uh, for Christians, God's primary attribute is love. In fact, St. John goes so far to tell us in 1 John 4, 4, 8, that God is love. That's his primary attribute, not his power. Yes, God's power, not his wisdom. Yes, God's wise, God's uh, omnipresent, etc. For Christians, what God has shown us is his primary attribute is love. So much so that even um, the ubiquitous John 3.16, anybody know what John 3.16 says? Would, would you say it for us? Say it. To the end that who believe not perish but have eternal life. Right. What drives God is love. God so loved the world. It's not that God is out there and I've got to tolerate you. No, God loved the world. He loves the world. And that's, that's what that, that's what motivates him. That's what motivates his mission. It's not like there's this problem, oh, I've got to send my son. No, it's a broken heart in love that says, God so loved the world. And if you could stop for a second and let that one sink in. God so loved the world. Not God's spiritual and the world's kind of yucky and it's material. No, so much so that we... In the end, we'll have bodies, new heaven, new earth, new bodies. God so loved the world that he created. What drives the whole thing is his love. He's the original lover, and we love because he first loved us. And Jesus is the full expression of his love. God so loved the world that he sent his only son that Jesus took on flesh and blood. Not, oh, I've got to go deal with that problem. It's like, oh, Father, send me. Please. Please. What drives the whole thing is this love. And Jesus is the full expression of that love, love incarnate. The Father didn't send a message. He didn't send a text. He sent a son to redeem a slave. If you know the exaltet, it's the, the thing that we sing at Easter, at the Easter vigil. To redeem a slave, he sent a son. While we were still enemies, while we were slaves to sin, he cashed in a son. Again, let that one sink in. Wow. That changes the way we think about prayer. Not God tolerates us. He longs to hear from us. The way um, parents just smile when their kid learns a song and crawls up in their lap and sings it. Because he longs for us. And he has invested so much in his creation, he was unwilling to let those made in his image just fall away without giving his all. It's what um, the singer-songwriter Rich Mullins uh, referred to as the reckless, raging fury they call the love of God. It's what Brendan Manning, I don't know if you know Brendan Manning, 
um, calls the furious longing of God. Try to get away from it. You won't. So let's um, think for just a minute about the incarnation because it's so central to everything we do. And the incarnation is love incarnate. So let's think a little bit about the incarnation. I know I'm throwing out a whole bunch of theology it's so that we can go in and pray with our minds renewed. Okay. In the beginning, God created the world, right? And St. John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and nothing that was created was created apart from him. In the beginning was the word. If you look at Genesis 1, the first three verses are the Trinity. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and the spirit hovered over the, over the water, and God spoke and said, light be. This is uncreated light. This is light, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, as we say in, in, the, um, uh, in the creed. It's, it's light emanating, it's the word emanating forth from the Father. Always was in the bosom of the Father. You've got the Trinity there in the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with God in the beginning, and nothing that was created was created apart from him. And the apex of creation in Ge- at the end of Genesis 1 is that God created man and woman in his image and likeness. He created them male and female. So God creates us and gives us this incredible honor of being made like him to relate to him, right? And of course, you know the rest of the story. Genesis 3, what happens? The fall. And, um, and the, the statement, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall, bru- and, and you shall bruise his heel. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the serpent. He's talking about Satan and the woman is Eve, but later Mary, who's kind of the second Eve, as it were. But he puts enmity there, and um, we understand, we can't underestimate how much the fall has kind of marred things. It's just not what it was intended to be. But the message of Christmas um, is the word, John goes on, as I said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word was with God in the beginning. Later in that chapter, um, at Christmas, we always read, and the word became flesh and blood, and as the message says, and moved into the neighborhood. Um, and uh, it's also what the author to the letter of the Hebrews says, um, because the children share flesh and blood, he too shared flesh and blood that he might serve as a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. That the word is this, is, is, uh, the incarnation is the word turned flesh, and it's a love letter. Jesus is God's word to you to say, I love you. Well, at Easter, that, that incarnation means atonement, death on Good Friday, resurrection on, on Easter Sunday. Dying, he destroyed our death. Rising, he restores our life. The atonement uh, is what one of the great saints said, what he did not assume, he has not healed. What he did not assume, he did not redeem. The full extent of what it means to be human, 
God knows. And in the ascension, that's the most overlooked, and we'll talk about the ascension tomorrow. It's the most overlooked of all the church holidays, I think, because in the flesh, incarnate, somewhere in the Godhead, is a hunk of flesh. I have no problem with the virgin birth. I have no problem with the resurrection from the dead. I can't get my head around the ascension. Where did you go? What is it like? And you're coming back. It just blows my mind. And it is so central because in the Godhead is a hunk of flesh that says, I know what it's like. And Dad, because he lives to intercede for us. What this means is two things, solidarity and advocacy. Okay, big words, sorry. But solidarity with us and advocacy for us. He became like us to make us like him. And uh, it's what St. Paul says, all we with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and we are being transformed into his image. He became like us to make us like him. Not just because we were a problem with sin. He wants to fix in us thy humble dwelling, like the hymn says. Let us all thy life receive. He wants to redo everything. He wants to see us shine like stars. He wants his glory manifest in you and me. So solidarity with us. He became like us to make us like him. And what it means is we can't say to God, you don't get it came to his own, his own received him not. Born in a manger because there was no room. You can't say to God, you don't get it. He, he, he comes to his own, they receive him not. He teaches, and they tell him he's a demon. And then he's rejected by all the major teachers. He's betrayed by a friend, denied by another friend, hung on a cross, a, a criminal's death, next to criminals, stripped naked in front of the whole world and he's so poor they had to bury him in someone else's grave. As bad as it gets, he gets it. He's had it worse. Leaving glory for that. And as good as it gets, he's had it better. Glory, love like you and I could never imagine, power that we could not get our heads around. As bad as it gets, He's had it worse. As good as it gets, he's had it better. And for love's sake, he goes goes to a deeper level to the extent that he even descended into hell. He goes to a deeper level than we ever could, even to the point of shedding his own blood. The other piece is advocacy. Advocacy for us, he's able to speak on on our behalf because he gets it. That's a little bit too puffy for me. St. John reminds us we have an advocate with the Father eternally. And because he himself was tempted in every way but without sin, he's able to sympathize with us in our weakness here and now. And he's able to help us in time of need. So draw near to the throne of grace in time of need. What the Incarnation says to us is, I get it. I love you. Do you know, how many of you know the song by John, um, uh, by John Legend, All of Me Loves All of You? Do you know that song? I love that song. He wrote, John Legend actually is a Christian, and he wrote that 
um, for his wife, for their marriage. Uh, he put himself through college uh, as a choir director in Lehigh um, University in Pennsylvania. Anyway, all, I, all of me loves all of you, all your curves and all your edges, all your perfect imperfections. When I heard that song for the first time, I went, oh my goodness, that's like Jesus singing to the church in the incarnation. It's so central to us being able to pray. And so for me, prayer has become a lot more complex as I think about it, as I ponder, as I, I look at theology. It's become a lot more complex, and it's also simpler than I used to think because it doesn't rely on me. It's more about relationship than activity, face-to-face, -face, just being there, wasting time. And it's about responding to his love because we love because he first loved us. Um, it's what Marva Don, the author, talks about a royal waste of time. Eternity is a long, long time. Uh, in fact, um, one of the images that I have come to love is, um, is this. Uh, and this is where I start to say, this is where I'm going in reverse order about how prayer works. This image has become really important for me, and it comes from the Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox. If you take a sword and you lay it in the fire, the longer it lays in the fire, it takes on all the property of the fire. It's not fire itself. It's a different thing, right? But if you lay it in the fire long enough, it gets red. It starts to glow. It gets to the same temperature. It can actually do what fire can do. You pull it out and touch things, and they, they're, they're set on fire. And the longer it lays in there, all the crud starts to work its way out to the surface, and you dust it off. That's what tempered steel is. Um, and for me, prayer, in terms of wasting time, has come to the point where I, I, I get this image sometimes that may not work for you. It depends on your, your, you know, your temperament. But I'm so wordy that I just shut up and go, I got nothing for you. <laughs> and like a sword laying in the fire, I just lay there. And just turn my, turn my attention Godward. Here, you want this? Seriously. I got no advice for you. That's okay. Um, again, back to that, that um, passage from 2 Corinthians. St. Paul tells us, all we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. I think that that's what was going on when Moses went up the mountain and spent 40 days. He didn't spend 40 days writing a few laws. He spent 40 days in the presence of God. I think that's what was going on when Jesus went up for the transfiguration. St. Luke tells us he went up to pray, and he took uh, John and Peter and James, and there's no evidence of anyone praying but Jesus. And the longer he prayed, he started to get sparkly, and it freaked them out. Anyway, I want to lead you in a meditation. In the light of that, take a few moments, get comfortable. If it's, um, if, if, if it's easy for you to, to connect by closing your eyes, go ahead. If, if it's easier um, to, uh, to kind of look, I have an image. This is a meditation written by a Roman Catholic priest back in the late 60s, early 70s, and I find it so poignant. I love it. It's called That Hour with Jesus. When I get to the end, I'm going to leave you there for at least 60 seconds. We don't get a lot of time to be really silent in our culture. I'm going to leave you there for one to two minutes in total silence.
Then I'll come back. I want to talk about personality and spirituality, do an exercise before we finish. This is called That Hour with Jesus. So, as I say, get, get yourself comfortable, whatever is helpful. Jesus had invited me to spend an hour with him. I was a bit uptight about it. So for days I prepared by boning up on my seminary course in Christology, and I reread the documents of Vatican II, and I glanced over my notes on Lonergan's method of theology, breezed through another one on liberation theology. After all, I didn't want to seem too out of it. Oh, and I looked through the four Gospels again, too, just in case he referred to something in his past record there. Oh, and I cleaned up my room, as I faithfully do every year anyway, because he insisted on coming here instead of meeting in chapel or on neutral ground. Huh. Well, when he came... I started to genuflect, and I tried to kiss his hand, but he, he pulled me up and said, can't we just sit here together? Well, I felt awkward and didn't know how to start the conversation. Reading my mind, he said, relax. I'd just like to be here with you, to enjoy the scenery from your window. The river and the skyline look so beautiful. Well, I could hardly believe that. If I'm busy and can't afford to waste time, he must be infinitely busier. And there were so many important things to get to accomplish in that hour. I really wanted to get the most out of it, but he just sat there in silence with his hand on my shoulder. Lord, I broke the silence. Where do you stand on the Christological controversy on how humanly conscious you were of your divinity and future life before your death and resurrection? Uh, what's that got to do with our enjoying the scenery? He asked. More silence. I reached for a book on process theology and said, you know, he really has something here on the development of consciousness, and what difference does that make, he broke in, to our time together? Do you like the way my father fashioned those clouds there in process, and the flowing river? More silence. I opened a book on liberation theology. I said, how can your gospel be authentically proclaimed, Lord, to people enslaved by oppressive economic and social structures? You haven't forgiven your brother down the hall, you know, nor have you let me heal you of your anger and your unkind judgments against him. He countered. Well, that doesn't answer my question, Lord. Your question does little for this precious time together. More silence. Are, are you happy with Vatican II and the aftermath of it, Lord? 
Are you? He returned. Oh, yes. Some of the new thinking and the changes are really good, but some of the liberals have carried things a bit too far, and the far-right conservatives are obstructive. They're just not thinking with the church. You're impossible, he laughed. Aren't you happy to spend a few moments with me? without trying to figure out some new insight for your last, I mean, your, your brilliant class lecture? You're confusing me, Lord. I was taught to meditate 34 years ago in the novitiate. I've studied it ever since. I'm not exactly new at this, you know. No, not new. Slow. But I love you. Well, that helped, but not much. More silence. I saw a shelf that I forgot to dust and a letter that had to be answered and the next class I needed to prepare. I was getting restless. Lord, would you like a glass of juice or something? It would only take a minute to run down the hall and get one. And what would you have me do while you're gone? Actually, I prefer to sit here together with you. Silence. Do you love me? He asked. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Yeah, I like that one. When Peter used it. But really, is that you? Honestly, I protested. Honestly, you're not making this hour very easy for me. You're the one making it so hard, he replied. I just like to spend time with you. Sharing your presence and my presence with you. Assuring you of my love. You don't have to entertain me when we're together. Just be there, okay? More silence. Who do you say I am, he asked, nudging my shoulder. Well, I'm with the best of our theologians, Lord, who say you are, why you are the eschatological manifestation of the ground of our being. You're the incarnate word of God. You're the ultimate kerygma and the full revelation of the Trinitarian, Christological, Soteriological, Antithetical, and Ecclesiastical Mysterion of our lives. There was a long pause before he said, What? Then he exploded with laughter. And he rose and raised his arms straight up over his head with his head back roaring. And he gave me a bear hug. You are impossible. But I love you. And then he left, still laughing all the way down the hall. I didn't think that was very funny at all. I stood gazing out the window for a few mo moments, still confused, before getting back to that important things on my desk full of work. Then I really missed him.
I don't know about you, but he was telling my story. As I suggested earlier, eternity is a really long time to spend with somebody. And if we're going to get comfortable enough to waste time, um, it might help if we think about how we relate to others and particularly how we relate to the Lord. So I want to think with you for just a couple more minutes about personality and spirituality. And then I have one more um, exercise that I want to do before we wrap up. I have some assumptions about Christianity, some assumptions about personality, and some assumptionalities, and some assumptions about spirituality as a way of life um, that I want to share with you, and then talk a little bit about personality, spirituality, and give you something to think about that I think could shape the way you retreat for the rest of this weekend, May. A couple of assumptions um, about Christianity. Christianity is not merely a philosophy. And a lot of people think it's just a philosophy. It's not merely a moral code, though it has a moral code. It's not merely a religious system, though there is a religious system. It is first and foremost spirituality. The believer has the Holy Spirit move into their life. Union with Christ. That if we have eternal life, it's because he's in us. And he's placed his spirit in us. All those other aspects are very important. They are secondary, and they're a way of relating to God, and consequently they play out in the ways we relate to others philosophically, morally, and systematically in terms of religion. But first and foremost, Christianity is a spirituality. breaks my heart when people think of spirituality and they immediately think Buddhism, and they don't have the Holy Spirit of God. We're talking the the spirit that hovered over the water, the spirit that came on the prophets, the spirit that came into Jesus' dead body and brought him back to life is poured into your life and my life. Christianity is first and foremost a spirituality. Then it has those other components. Number two, personality. Personality is, uh, is the combination of one's faculties, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we behave, our temperament, all those various faculties that come together in us, in our lives, and they give us individuality. This is who I am, that's who you are, and then we relate because we have personality. And God is personal. God is a person, and we have personality because we're made in his image. God is a person, you're a person, God has a personality. And personality is foundational to relationality. When you get a clear sense of who you are, then you know how to relate to other people because nothing worse than, oh, I don't know who I am, tell me who I am. No, 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 no. When we have a sense of who we are, then we relate to others. And we have a sense of who we are in Christ, then we relate to God because he's other. 
And so thinking about personality and Christian spirituality is significant. And it's worth remembering that what drives all of it is the love of God. Not just ours for him, but his for us. You ever stop to think that God really loves you? I keep saying that. But, you know, theologically we think, well, he has to. He's God, right? Do you ever stop and think that God might actually like you? He might actually think your sense of humor is kind of funny. The weird thing you do when you sign your checkbook and you do that swirl at the end, he might just go, ah, that's my kid. You know, like the kids running around with coonskin caps. You know, God might just look and go, hey, like he did with Job. Hey, have you seen my Job? If we think about this, it makes prayer just a little easier. That God might just actually enjoy you. How dare you and I think that God might just enjoy, not tolerate us. That's what the incarnation does. I don't just tolerate you. I actually enjoy you. Come here. Sit with me. That redefines everything when it comes to prayer. To dare believe that God might enjoy you, might really like you. He made you. So, spirituality, the third of these, um, as a way of life. It's an attitude. It's not a set of practices. The practices come out of the attitude. They come out of the being, the existential. This is who I am. And I I have a sense of who I am because you've given me who I am, and I relate back to you who is other than me. The psalmist cries out, this is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. What that says to me is, this is the day he made. I don't find a way to slot God into my day. I got that backwards. This is his day, and he fit me into it. Whoa. You've opened up eternity to share it with me. Whoa. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. It's what St. Augustine prayed. You have formed us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they rest in you. You made us for you. All things were created by him and for him, and in him all things hold together. You made me for you. I don't figure out how to fit you into my life. I rejoice that you've made room for me in yours. And because of all this personality stuff, we're not all wired the same way. God has designed us differently. And it's counterproductive uh, to ourselves, to the church, to everybody if, if we think that there should be a one-size-fits-all spirituality. That's one of the things that came through the 80s charismatic revival. Actually, it starts in the 60s. I was raised Roman Catholic in the charismatic congress and all that was going on. But what happened by the 80s is that there was this one-size-fits-all in the context I was in. That, well, why am I not doing what you do? Well, you're not wired that way, kid. So it's counterproductive, and it dishonors God. Part of the diversity 
of the church is that we each bring something to the mix for God to enjoy. And what God enjoys about you, Perry, is different than what he enjoys about me. And what God enjoys about you, Laura, is different than what he enjoys about me. And he says, you're my favorite, and so are you, and so are you, and so are you. You know? All of them. Because of the stress of life, failing to cultivate an intentional, deep Christian commitment is an option, but it's a silly one. Failing to, like, really pursue the Lord, it's an option. Life is very busy. Failing to waste time with God. But it's pretty silly because we won't be ready for eternity. Not that we won't make it, but we're practicing eternity here and now. Wasting time with the one we love who loved us first. And it's not so much a practice as a way of life. It's an attitude. God is present. God is active in all times. And therefore, we just want to be mindful to interact him, interact with him, and to pray without ceasing. A couple books that I brought. Books are the answer to everything. And I'll have these up if anybody wants to thumb through. That's a little noisy. Um, this is um, Sacred Pathways. Um, is by Gary Thomas. He's written a number of things. He's, he's a psychologist. He, he wrote The Languages of Love, Sacred Marriage, a number of really, really helpful books. He wrote this, and there are, he says there are nine personality types um, and kind of teases out to get in touch with how you're wired. Um, actually, and, and here's... Um, a woman came along afterwards, after he helped this, named Myra Perrine, and she said, well, if you're one of those types, here are disciplines you can do to cultivate that. Really helpful. But first and foremost, I've been saying it's about, um, it's about an essence. It's about an attitude. It's about a way of being. Here are the, um, the uh, different types. The naturalists, not, not those who like to go out camping naked. Um, naturalists draw near to God through nature. They see mountains and they go, <gasps> for other people, it doesn't make any difference. Um, sensates draw near to God through the senses. Art, uh, flowers, movement, dance. Some people like, like have these really intense spiritual experiences when they dance. Talk to a dancer or a runner. Um, traditionalists draw near to God through ritual and symbol. Ascetics draw near to God through simplicity and solitude. Activists draw near to God through cultivating social change. When they go work to make a difference in society, they go, I experience God there. Um, caregivers draw near to God when they serve others. They go visit people, shut-ins. They go to the homeless. They go whatever. Um, enthusiasts draw near to God through celebration. You know, uh, certain traditions where you sing songs for half an hour. Um, for some people, that is really an intense time. After one or two songs, I want to sit down and just let it wash over me. I don't put them down. I'm just different. Contemplatives draw near to God through personal adoration and devotion, and intellectuals draw near to God through, um, through their minds. They read something, and it just grabs them. Um, the reason I bring that up is that um, what I like about this is he doesn't say you're one and not the other. He says, think about this. Here are the three things that are really important to you. Cultivate those. 
Take the path of least resistance. Growing up in a, in a large family, uh, my parents had date night. It was on Saturday. And it was actually kind of embarrassing um, because on Saturday afternoon, they'd chase each other around the house and then they'd go to bed. It was just like, as a teenager, it was like, Ugh! Um, But then they always went out and date night was whatever. It didn't matter. But there was a time that was mom and dad's time. And I don't care what's happening, kids. I put somebody there in charge. I'm leaving. Taking the path of least resistance is a really helpful way to cultivate a love affair with God. And these different methods, um, they're all important. But you may be more inclined to one rather than another. Um, I will say, here's a, there's an online, Andy Stanley. I'm almost done. We're going to do an exercise and finish. Andy Stanley took that book and put it together on, online. And I would encourage you, um, while you're here, maybe tonight, whatever, I've got iPhone, I've got iPad, I've got a computer. Uh, most of you probably have smartphones. Go look it up. It's 45 questions you just tick on a scale of 1 to 5. I connect with God when I'm out in nature. I connect with God when I'm in a liturgy. I connect with God when I read the Bible. I connect with God. And he has 45 questions. You push the button and he says, here are the three things or five things that you're really high on. Here are the things that aren't so important to you. It might be helpful as you think about this as a retreat. Um, if you look up Sacred Pathways, which is the, ne- the name of this, Sacred Pathways Test, Google it. It'll just come up. It's really worth doing because what it does, it, it probably won't surprise you at all, but what it does is it says, hey, for me, um, tradition, uh, I talk so much that ascetic silence, I naturally fall to silence. It's not hard for me. My brain goes crazy, but I just get tired of hearing me. Um, and, um, and also intellect. You might want to just do that because that could give you some hooks to hang things on for date night, as it were. Like, how do you spend time with God and not just enjoy God, but let him enjoy you? To sit there and he goes, you know, I just love it when we read. I love it when we take walks. I love it when... Think about that. I'd be glad to let you use my computer, my iPhone. I'm sure anybody would, would be glad to do that. Um, I just wanted to, to point that out because I think it's really helpful. That's the, the web address. But if you just Google um, Sacred Pathways Test, it'll come up. Because Andy Stanley's church in Atlanta, he put it on there to cultivate people getting, getting more comfortable with prayer. Um, and so what I've just done is redefine prayer. I hope. Yeah, probably nothing new to you. But prayer is not just what we say in the middle of the Eucharist or those few intercessions that we have in a liturgy. Prayer is this relationship with God. It says, all of me loves all of you. Look, I'm into you. Slow down, kid. So um, I encourage you to do that. And maybe even after we finish here, um, you might want to do it. I, I want to end with um, something called Lexio Divina. Hey, I have books that you might, you can feel free to thumb through if you want to see where some of these ideas are coming from. Um, I want to close with just a couple of minutes. Lexio Divina. How many of you know that term? Have you heard the term Lexio? It's sacred reading. Um, and what, um, what it is is when you read scriptures, you could do it yourself or in groups. Find it particularly poignant because where two or three gather, there I am in your midst, and the Holy Spirit touches us when we get quiet together. I, I, for me, that's my experience. Um, but when you read the scripture and a word jumps out at you, 
let the rest of it wash over you. Hold on to whatever is going on. Why, God, did you just touch me with that word? Uh, I'm going to read Psalm 46. And I'm going to read it slowly, kind of meditatively. If your mind wanders, hey, when a little kid sits on their mom or dad's lap and they're kind of crazy and wandery and whatever, parents don't mind, God doesn't mind, you know. Let this wash over you. Take some time and read this as Lexio. Um, I'll take you down to, again, a moment or two in silence, and then we'll pray uh, and go sit at the fire for a little bit. This is Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth change, though mountains shake into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountain tremble with tumult, it's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her right early. Nations rage. Kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he's wrought desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. Breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns chariots with fire. Be still then, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob 
our refuge. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. Be still and know that I am God. I will be. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Lord, you've taught us that without love, whatever we do is worth nothing. Send your Holy Spirit and pour into our hearts your greatest gift, which is love, that true bond of peace and of all virtue, without which whoever lives is accounted dead before you. And grant this for the sake of your only Son, Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.